That one was produced by Steve Lipson, and he's now working on a new single. Steve's already laid down 24 separate instrumental tracks without going near a single conventional instrument. So you've written that score into the computer note by note, have you? Note by note. Now that presumably means you can play around with the different parts, does it? It means basically you've got complete control over everything. You can change the pitches, you can change the timing of one track relative to another, you can change the sounds when you're nearing the end of the project. It gives you complete manipulation of the music. Could you give us a for instance, perhaps, of how you might change the feel of something? Yeah, well, if we take the bass and drums as an example, I'll uh, play a little bit of them and change the position of the snare relative to everything, which would shift the timing. It's gone completely out of time. That, that uh, is a ludicrous thing to do and we wouldn't obviously do it but the possibilities are enormous with that sort of flexibility of changing the feel of the music we're working on how much work have you got to still put in before this becomes a single oh quite a bit we want to put on some real instruments real people give it a bit of feel in that respect could take any up to two weeks come back in a fortnight and see where we're up to so for steve the computer offers total control and the chance to create those new and unusual sounds that we've come to expect from pop I'm Stephen Lipson, and this is my 80s. Ography. Sort of. Welcome! And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Grace. Hello. Part two of the interview commences now. 1985. Forward to 1985, where you're involved with two albums that produced two singles that are, are still revered and loved today. Two absolute classics, and that's Duel by Propaganda and Slave to the Rhythm by Grace Jones. Slave to the Rhythm, now, is it true that was originally written for Frankie? Kind of. Kind of. So, did no, they I don't think it was written them? for them. I think it was suggested for them. At what stage was this written then? Was this still during the Pleasure Dome days, or was this post? I don't know. It's Bruce Woolley and um, Simon Darlow wrote the song. It's a high-speed song. 
It wasn't. You have a writing credit on it, don't you? Yeah, but that, that a lot happened. You know, the thing about Slave to the Rhythm is that's three hours to talk about that. Suffice it to say, the original version, which was a high-speed version, was originally presented to the Frankies. It didn't work out. Chris Blackwell liked the title and suggested. I think we might have. No, he suggested doing a go-go version. We didn't know what go-go was. I heard Trevor recently saying something about、uh, he knew what it was or whatever. He he had a handle on it, but he didn't have a handle on it at all because Bruce Woolley, Trevor, and I flew out to New York, and Bruce had done a demo. I remember the rhythm of the demo. It was nothing like go-go, but we didn't know that, and、um, the band showed up. And we were just in record. I mentioned to you at the time we were in record as we pushed the faders up, and、uh, th- that was the first time we heard Gogo. And we thought we're we're really in trouble here because the demo we have doesn't relate to it at all. Anyway, so we had to rewrite the song, and that was why I ended up with a writing credit, as did Trevor. So there should I think I'm right in saying there are four people with writing credits. Simon, Bruce, Trevor, and me. What did you fundamentally change about the song? Me, you and Trevor to make it、uh, the credit.、Uh, Trevor, probably the whole sort of overview of it.、Uh, me, I know this sounds dead vague, but we had we had to figure the song, and the only way we could figure how to figure the song. Uh, because we were at the studio that didn't give us lockdown, so we had to leave at six at night. So we thought we could write it at, at、uh, the hotel, but in order to write it at the hotel, we needed to take a bit of gear back. So we had a Roland drum box, a keyboard, and a little amplifier, and I think a bass guitar. And I programmed this drum box to play a go-go rhythm, which was unbelievably hard. Anyway, I did it, and then I think I was playing the bass, and Trevor—I can't remember—but Bruce was playing the keyboard, and he found that sound. It's a fat fifths, I think it's called. And we did the song, and my major contribution, which I'm extremely proud of, was that he should reverse the order of the chords in the verse, and it changed everything. Because if you listen to—have you heard the album? Yes. Yeah. So you know, there's like a rock version. There's many different versions. Yeah. No, there's one high-speed rock version. Okay. Was that the original? Yeah. And the verse in that goes from the one chord to the four chord, which was what Bruce used in this new version we were concocting. Saying this doesn't sound right. This one, it's very square. Why don't you reverse the chords and go from the four to the one, which he did, and the whole thing changed. So that that, and also, 
the amount of work I put into it, you know, was more than enough to warrant <laughs> credit. I mean, it was a serious amount of work. It was a year. At what point was it decided to make that one track into an album with different versions and variations? It, it was never decided. What happened was we had the version we did in New York, which was the, the single, in shape. We had it in some shape. It doesn't matter how we got there. It's a whole story. And came back to England. I can't remember if she'd sung on it, but we decided to get an orchestra on it. And we still had the original version, which was that high-speed version. Trevor decided we had the orchestra booked and a night before or two nights, whenever, he thought that the version we'd done in New York wasn't good enough for a technical reason, which I could never really understand. But he said, anyway, we got the orchestra, the orchestra booked, so we'll do it anyway. So we recorded orchestra on both versions, but we concentrated on the high-speed version and did one take on the single literally one take at the end of the session put it all to bed and he said now go and try and come up with another version and i came up with another version in the synclavier which i could tell you the name of but i can't remember and it's not worth worrying about and then the synclavier software was updated from whatever one voice to eight voices and we all got very excited and did another version and on we went so we kept looking for the ultimate version and then at some point went back to the original in you know a sort of drug-induced stupor and went well actually this isn't that bad by which time nearly a year had passed we'd spent a load of money and grace was out of her contract so the only thing that could be done was to put it all together as an album or else it was just ridiculous had the finished single version that we all know and you had to go back to it to realize that was the one because surely once once you've got that track you must think oh this is genius this is a masterpiece how could you need another yeah a different version to this because it's just it's not that simple you you say that but there's so many aspects to it for a start that track when we got back to london i remember saying to trevor i said to him I'm so fed up of us making these these flash bulbs. Can't we make an incandescent table lamp? 
<laughs> right. And he, he said, what do you mean? I said, it, we're always looking for the gags. What is it with the gags? How about just a really good record? And he said, um, I, he kind of looked at me over his glasses and he went, he said, what a great gag. No gags. <laughs> that was his response. There is one gag in it, which is in the second verse is a two, four bar. I think which isn't really a gag. It's just a little kick. It's got no gags. It's just a nice piece of music, really. At no point while making it did we think this is amazing. It was just what we were doing. I don't know. It didn't seem that amazing. To this day, I love it. I don't think it's that amazing. Why is it so amazing? It's just, a, I don't know, everything, just the, the, the melody, her vocals, just the feel and the sound of it. It's just one of those perfect records. Same with Jewel. It's the same thing. It's just a battle oh, Jewel. Jewel, I hate Killer. it. Really? Yeah. You still hate it? I hate. Hate's a very strong word. I don't hate it. I was never in any way satisfied with it. I preferred the other version we have called Jewel. great chorus it's a great pop chorus it's one of those songs you hear and you immediately start like just tapping your feet and just like... i know i always thought it was so weak it just oh, felt weak. i can't explain and it doesn't matter because people like it and that's good enough people love it people love that they really do i know it stays in the rhythm as well yeah well i know i love the fact they love them don't get me wrong and slave to the rhythm i appreciate but you know when i hear it maybe i'm just tainted i hear a year's work the down the drain you know how did you get grace jones involved and was there other people that were considered to record the no it's chris blackwell who said slave to the rhythm grace should sing it and what was that like his experience producing uh she wouldn't talk to me <laughs> any, any reason why no i never really got to the bottom of it she was if we took a year she must have been there in all about 10 hours <laughs> she was hardly there did she sing various versions of she just sing a version and then you just uh, basically she sang two versions and a few bits from what I remember. And 
she came up with the best idea and all credit to her for it, which was in the single version at the end, there's this mad orchestral bit. And she said, God, it sounds like Saturday night live or something I should. And so she, she, she might've been on in the studio and she went, and now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Grace. Yeah, yeah, that she makes thought, sense. <laughs> she thought it sounded like a one of those TV shows. Yeah. Which, of course, it did. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Grace. And yeah, she only did yeah. one appearance, TV appearance for that song. And what she did... I remember it distinctly because I thought it was such a weird thing. She was wrapped up. Her head was wrapped up. And at that point where she said, and now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Grace, she pulled off the thing around her head. That was her idea. So she did 10 hours in the studio and got an album out of it. That's not bad. Well, it was only two versions of a song. Yeah. How long does it take to do a vocal? I mean, yeah. I think Paul interviewed her or someone interviewed her as well. What did you want to be Burst. when you were 17? Not bored. And what, what was the first thing you did to uh, alter that situation of being bored? I floated in the cloud. Like we all do, I suppose. Not all of us. So. <laughs> and then what happened? The lucky ones. I don't think I ever came down from that cloud. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the linking bits in the album. Yeah, we spent more time with Jean-Paul Goud, actually. He was there quite a lot. Right. So which of your songs would you say is closest to an incandescent table lamp? Did you ever achieve that aim? Wow. Uh, There's a question, eh? Yeah, there is a question. Uh, uh, probably, uh, eek, uh, uh, maybe why? I, I think it would be fair to say why, because even though it was in virtually impossible to make, it's it sounds dead simple, doesn't it? Why was it impossible to make? Because uh, I couldn't figure the rhythm. I had everything but the rhythm, and and that took ages to figure the rhythm. So was there a rhythm with the demo? Did she produce a demo for yeah, it? Yeah, she did it with Marius de Vries and his demos were amazing. But on this one, it was like a metronome. It was just marking time. Right. And, so it, and um, it just sounded terribly boring. And to figure how to stop it sounding boring without attracting attention was killer. It was really hard. It was the assumption that the rhythm is the first thing you put down and that's easy. And it's what you put on top of it that's a struggle. And in that instance, it was the other way around. Yeah, you we had the chords, everything the there. Just, yeah, yeah. She oh. never bettered the demo vocal, and it was kind of obvious. There was no point in her singing it again. And is that what you always hear about? That it's, it's always hard sometimes to top the demo. Yeah, it's like a futile exercise. You get something in the demo you can't capture in a studio. Sure, you don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, that's that's a beautiful song. Nineteen eighty-six. Okay, 1986, yeah. Frankie goes to Hollywood for the follow-up album, Liverpool. You're the sole producer, but Trevor Horn is an executive producer credit. So what was his role during the making of that album? Allowing me to make it, probably. But towards the end, there was panic because it wasn't as good. It, we all knew it wouldn't be as good. It was a poison chalice. I, nobody wanted to do it. I did it because the boys were happy with me. 
you know, it, it was never going to be like the first album. It couldn't be. The first album was this sort of moment. And the second album, they wanted to do it, you know, and fair enough. I don't blame them. It's nobody's fault. Having said that, Holly was a little bit, uh, to put it politely, negative about the whole process. And I say, what was the atmosphere like within the band at this stage? Were they already, when you were recording it, they started to fragment? And were they- no, it was really good apart from Holly. That's what I mean, the Holly and the band. Were they starting yeah, to fragment? Yeah, oh, Holly, he yeah. wouldn't. He, we, we all decamped to Amsterdam for some reason. We were there for months. And um, there was nothing to do there apart from make the record. But he used to say to me, I need two days notice if you want me to sing. You know, it was all mm. just difficult. He was really difficult. And wouldn't participate. He wouldn't be right. there with everyone. Is that because he didn't want to be in the band anymore? Or was it just... Do you know, I, I, I wouldn't like to hazard a guess. All I know is he had a new boyfriend and they were loved up and whatever. Good luck to him. Yeah. Except he did kind of ruin my life for a few years, I have to say. Post the album, was that to do with the court case? Yeah, and the album. He made the album really hard for me. I was only trying to work and get it good, you know. He, I, I felt like the enemy, and I could never understand why. Was there a sense then it was taken out on you rather than the rest of the band because he couldn't really take it out on the band? No, I think everyone. Taken out on everyone, right? Yeah, it was. It was awful. To this day, not, not, I think I don't think about it, but the whole thing, I couldn't understand what I'd done mm. apart from tried to help him. You know, I was always civil to him, wanted the best for him, but it, I don't know. He was, didn't join in, basically. Right. So were the, band, were the songs all written by the band together, or was it a case of he'd write some songs, they'd write some songs? They'd he... write the backing tracks and he'd figure what to do. Right, okay. Very disjointed. Yeah, two separate processes. Yeah. And did the band play on the whole record? Was it? Yeah. It was literally a band record. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I played guitar, and Andy would have done a whole load of stuff. And but it, the band played. I think there's things half half a great album. I think it starts brilliantly. I love Boris the Wasteland and Rage Hard. There's some some kind of average songs in the middle. It kind of lets the album down a little bit. I, I have to. Right. That's that's very polite. <laughs> <laughs> Therapy polite. I, 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 think, I think half the album is really good, and half the album is a bit. It's like no, like three songs where you think there's not really a song there. Well, there actually, you say that Warriors of the Wasteland. I was never that keen, or I thought it was corny. I like Rage Hard. I'm yeah. looking at the list now. Kill yeah. the Pain. I thought was kind of okay. Yeah, yeah. It was Maximum right. Joy. I thought was kind of okay. It was all right. Watching the Wildlife. I kind of liked. Yes, that's enjoyable. Yeah. And Luna Bay, I thought was great fun. It was just good fun. Yeah. Beyond that, I think the last track is really poignant, actually. I think. What, is there anybody out? There's yeah. anybody Lyric out? There? Is, and it's got a nice melody. Um, I, I, I do like a long intro at the beginning of an album, so I, I do like the intro to War. Was it always designed to have that long intro? It was going to be the first track, and it's going to be this long kind of kind of calm intro, and then explode when the song starts. Well, no, that wasn't that. What happened? Uh, there were two things that just you're reminding me. Ped, the drummer, mm-hmm. and I, for some reason, had to come back to London. The rest of the band were in Amsterdam. And and uh, we decided to go into Psalm for a day. And we came up with that intro, the two of us. He had the rhythm. I figured the chords. And then I 
said, well, this is quite nice. Why don't we shove it on the front of the song, which we did. And when we did it, somehow we had the drums in the wrong place. I could never quite understand why it happened, but I, it sounded good to me. Um, but there's a drum fill in completely the wrong place and, and it sounded quite effective, so we left it. Anyway, that was the front of that. those happy mistakes that yeah um, which constantly happen to me so was it a, a deliberate attempt to take themselves seriously because you compare it like everything about it is like there's, there's no cover versions or linking tracks. yeah of course it was gray cover it's just, it was them trying to establish themselves as a band you know the single when you when you do an album they, they do single versions are you involved in that but the single mix for warriors is completely different it's a much more popular version that's rocky Sometimes I can't remember with that. It was chaos. Every it was like all hands on deck at that point. Everyone panicked because they knew. I don't know why they didn't know at the, the outset. You know, they knew it was we, we didn't have a smash like Relax or Two Tribes. So you knew, so you knew that before Rage Hard was released because when Rage I did, it was painfully obvious to me. Yeah, you weren't. Gonna I think that. everyone knew, and then they sort of pinned their hopes on on warriors of the wasteland and that it, it was it was inevitable but anyway when was the last time you spoke to any members of the band uh i don't know i think at trevor's show whenever that was yes, wembley yes, arena they, they okay. i really liked them i was so fond of them like hugely fond of them and then just life goes on but holly it was deeply upset he wrote a book and he was really rude about me and i was so shocked by this i couldn't i couldn't get to, to grips with why he'd been rude couldn't understand it did you try to reach out to him after the book? Nah, no i've got no interest you know what, what am i going to do i don't dwell on it i'm only mentioning it because we're talking about it that's a shame that's a real shame 1987 Okay, so we'll go to 1987 now, and another facet of your career. So we've, we've covered engineering, producing, playing 
guitar and writing, uh, mixing, doing remixes. So in 87, you did the 12 inch mix of Tomorrow by the Communards. Do you remember doing that? I do. Oh, was it, dear. Was it Have a 12 inch mix? A 12 inch mix, yes. I was wondering about the process of doing a 12 inch mix and mixing other people's work and conversely the people mixing your work, what the process is for that. I, I, do you know what? That That's a real bless them and this is nothing against them or their music but that was a real low moment for me because i did it for all the wrong reasons i didn't particularly like the song you know just a personal thing it's not that it's a bad song i ju just didn't like it that much and um jill had said uh, they want you to do whatever it what, what's it called tomorrow yeah, yeah. it was a bronski beat a communist oh, yeah jimmy somerville's band after bronski yeah yeah and I, I wasn't particularly a fan, just how it is. And um, I said, I don't want to do it. And she said, "You, I really think you should do it. I don't want to do it. And this went on for a while. And she said, what would, if you could ask any amount of money for it. It was some one of those. And I made some stupid statement. And within an hour, she came back and said, yep, they'll give it to you. It was awful. I felt bad doing it. I felt bad about the whole thing. And I hope it was a good version. I it is a good, I, I love the 12-inch mix. Yeah. The only other 12-inch I remember doing, which I loved because I loved the band, was Wang Chung. It was uh, okay. called Wait, and I loved that. I remember where I did it. You know, the whole thing about it was a glorious moment. I loved it. What is the process of doing a 12 inch mix then? You, you, you can literally, I mean, are you given a brief like it has to be? Nah, no, no, do what you want. Right. Really. Does it have to be approved by the artist or does the record company just signs it off and then that's it? I don't know. And you're talking about then, not now. Now it doesn't exist, does it? No. So then, who knows? You, you know, it was a weird time. I remember thinking the other day, I know this sounds bizarre, but I never had a budget. Budgets weren't mentioned. You know, it was just weird. Do what you want. Spend what you want. So speaking of remixes, I've got to ask you about another remix. It's not 80s, but um, the Sting song, I Was Brought to My Senses. Yeah. Remix. Now, if you listen to it, anybody who listens to it, if you check out the album version, it's like a six-minute kind of very pleasant 
but slow song. A new version completely reinvents it. Absolutely brilliant mix. It's like a almost like a re-recording because you give it an energy that the original doesn't have. Ah, oh, but there's a big difference. There, I think the song was in seven eight. Seven eight mean, meaning that it was an irregular number of beats to a yeah. bar. I remember when we, we were asked to do it, saying to my the, the guy, my engineer who I work with, Hef, you know, we've got to turn this into four four because how can you do a remix in seven eight? It doesn't make sense. So we, the technology was right on the edge. And so for every seven beats, we had to find a beat to put in. So we had to reorganize every instrument to have an extra beat every bar. Well, every eight beats. We turned seven beats into eight beats. And it took, we spent all our time doing this. And having done it, can't actually remember much about the mix. You know, that was, I kept thinking, that's what it needs. It needs to be in 4-4, because 7-8 is too clever, anyway. It's one of those remixes that just reinvents the song, and it like, makes a good song into a great song. Yeah, I just want to mention, because I really love that mix. Oh, well, that must be why, because it's, it's in a normal time signature. Okay, 1988, we're on to working with the Pet Shop Boys, another favourite of mine, and, and a song that if I was going to do my four favourites of the 80s, this would probably be number four, I've left the my own devices. Right, what do you right. remember about working with them on that? Oh, I remember a lot about working with them on that. They are the most delightful people. I can't speak highly enough about them. We were actually asked to do two songs, that and a song called It's Alright, which was a cover, and it began with It's raining in afghanistan i remember that i always thought that was a really weird song <laughs> i think trevor finished that one on his own but left to my own devices it was trevor and me working really well together i thought so they had the song i can't remember chris obviously wrote the music i i can't remember what he wrote that we used apart from the song obviously and it was all programmed in the Synclavier. And I had the whole thing sounding what I thought was amazing. It took me ages. I had it sounding great. And Neil Tennant came in to hear it. And I had this really cool rhythm. And he, he said, uh, it, yeah, it sounds great apart from the rhythm. Can't stand the rhythm. I said, what do you want? He said, I want that dance rhythm. You know, that pst, 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 that, that disco rhythm. God. So I saved where I was, erased the drums, and it took me like no time at all to put the rhythm in. I was like doing it as a joke, you know, this this corny disco rhythm. Mm -hmm. I did it, and he went, "Yeah, that's it. That sounds great." 
I remember being completely bemused. Of course, he was 100% right. Then I had to change the bass. So I had to come up with a bass line. I had a different bass line completely. I remember sitting there, just, it just rolled out. Whatever it was, just fell out into the sync clavier and that was done. So I spent ages getting the track and then like two minutes redoing the whole rhythm. <laughs> what was the original rhythm for the track then? It was just this kind of cool steely down rhythm. It was stupid in retrospect. I can't really remember. It was inappropriate. It's not very Pet Shop Boys. No. So when, you, when you've got a certain rhythm or thing in your head, how long does it take you? Because that's how you hear it. How long does it take you to, to, to accept a different version? Well, it didn't take very long. You know, I had this version just because I'd been indulging myself, which is, I don't know, really any other way to work. But so I was indulging myself and I was really happy with this cool rhythm. He said he didn't like it, wanted something else. So one has to, at this point, you have to be pragmatic about it. He's the artist. So off I go. And it, I did it. And the, in my head, I was going, what's the, how can I make this as corny as corny can be? Mm. You know, that was the sort of driving force to getting the rhythm. But I don't know if it's corny. It's just what came out. It happened very quickly and sounded good. And was it designed, because it's for the album retrospective, was an album of <clears throat> 12 inch mixes effectively. Was it designed as an extended mix to be edited down for a single, or was it designed as a single and then you made the extended version from that? I think it was always the length it is. And then we stuck an orchestra on the front because we loved Richard's arrangement, Richard Niles. Yeah, he did a lot of that for them, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's an epic and a magnificent song. Yeah. In the back of my head, I heard distant feet, Che Guevara and Debussy to a disco beat. It's not a crime when you look the way you do, the way I like. When you heard that finished version, uh, what your thoughts were when you actually heard it all finished? <clears throat> when I heard it finished, no, I finished it. So I don't remember hearing it finished. It sort of happened by osmosis, as these things do. You know, you're getting it nearer to the point, nearer to the point, done, right, on to the next. You know, there isn't this, for me, really a moment of glory. You just move on. Ever any suggestion of making a full album with them? I'd love to have heard a full album produced by you guys. I know Trevor Horn did, funda uh, did Fundamental with them, didn't he? But was that a whole album? Yeah. Was it good? 
It was it was pretty good. It wasn't as good as um, their peak was really up to about ninety three. Everything before and up to ninety three was 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 fantastic, and they did good stuff after that. But that was their peak period for me. Right. Oh, I don't know. No, I, I I think I was put up for an album with them, but they wanted to do it with some other guy. We, you know, it's fine. We all whatever. But I loved them. I thought they were so nice guys and really good. Working with them made me realize how good they were which often happens. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Have you ever had a situation where you were invited to work with someone and the reality of them was disappointing? What, as people or as artists? Oh, either. Uh, I'd have to look at a list if there is anyone who that has applied to. I don't think it's like that. I can't explain. It's for me, this is just me, right? I don't view it that way. I love making music, recording music, be it records, movies, whatever it is. And if a situation seems worth getting involved in, I'm in. And the job is to make it as good as possible. Do you see what I mean? And some people have bad moments, good moments. You just look for the good in people, really, don't you? That's the thing to do. Okay. There are moments with everyone, you know, I, I can think of, uh, you know, flare ups with most artists at some point, but if there isn't a flare up, it means you're not very passionate. Yes. You'd be more worried if you weren't prepared to flare up about something. Yeah. You're just not, you're not engaged. 1989. Flowers in the Dirt by Paul McCartney comes out. You worked on four tracks with Trevor Horn. Could on be. That album. Yeah. Um, so it's Rough Ride. I believe you recorded in one or two days. I think most yep. of them you recorded in one or two days. Yeah, that was the, the plan. Macca says it was his plan, but it was definitely our plan. We'd just spent too long making records and we thought we'd just get in and out. I remember the conversation clearly. I remember where we were and how it came about. And that was our plan, two days. We go down, two days, do a song, get out go back down two days, do a song. That was the sort of plan. Mm. And we sort of adhered to it. He redid one of them. It was Figure of Eight. Yeah, that's right, with Chris Hughes. I have no idea why it was re-recorded. I actually prefer the version you did to the single version, I have to admit. Oh, you know what? I couldn't really hear much difference. I mean, kind of, but it didn't make it. Yeah, it just sounds like there's no reason to make a five-minute version of that song. I think three and a half minutes is about the right length for it. Good song. It's all right. Yeah, I think that there we did four. How many people, which is some weird sort of reggae thing, which I never understood. Uh, Uwe Sole, whole story attached to that. Yes, didn't you not originate that? Yeah. You know yeah. what? It's fine. And I've got no, I'm f- like having worked with the man, I have nothing but admiration for him. I couldn't think, I'll tell you what, being in a band with him, what a great guy to have in a band constantly having ideas can play everything really well sings well you know full on he's amazing and on rough ride you played the bass in front of him How did yeah that which is a bit weird <laughs> can imagine yeah not it well uh it was kind of good bass and rhythm 
I had the drum box and the bass and he was playing guitar and it, we, we just went round it all day. And I kept having these waves of emotion about playing the bass with Paul McCartney in the room. Did you ever sense him checking you out as a bass player? I think, yeah, and get like a nod of approval, like, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty good. No, no, it was a keyboard bass. Oh, it's a keyboard bass. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was playing the keyboard. No, no, I can't play the keyboard. So the whole thing was a bit hit and miss. So in terms of producing Paul, if he thinks a vocal you think isn't up to scratch or there's a bum note on the bass, how would you word it? How would you, was he approachable to that kind of constructive, not even criticism, but like, we, could, we can do that again. Would it be amenable to that? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I, well, there was a moment I had with him, which, which I, I'm not sure if I regret it or not. I don't know. But we were going around Rough Ride and there was a bridge section. We call it a middle eight here. The Americans call it a bridge. Yeah. And um, after going around it uh, two million times, I just hit stop. And Trevor and Paul looked at me. And of course, he had all his crew in there, you know, who are acolytes. And um, they looked at me and I said, the thing is, we keep going around this again and again. And this bit's not very good. And, you know, the room, it just went very cold and silent. <laughs> and and uh, I could feel all his guys looking at me like, have you gone mental? You know, it was what a really weird moment. Yeah. And... Uh, Macca sort of was the same. He couldn't believe it looked as if he couldn't believe it. And he, you know what? My memory might be bad, but he said, oh yeah. So what are you going to do about it? And I said something along the lines of that's your department. <laughs> my department is to tell you. And he, he went, okay. And he went upstairs and rewrote the section and came down and it was I don't know if it was better, it was different. Whatever. Actually, I think it might have been better. I'm not asking for an easy passage So I hope you understand I'm not after any special treatment But I wouldn't mind a hand On a rough ride But it was a real thing. Tony, I didn't think before I said it. I, and so, so when I said it, I didn't say it with much um, subtlety, you know. Yeah, I can actually wouldn't have been used to that. Hasn't been spoken to that like in that way since like 1964 or something like that. George Martin telling him, you know. I'd imagine he was much politer. Yeah. To me, How Many People is the only song I don't like, to be honest. I'm not that keen on it. It, uh, McCartney seems to do one of these songs every album where it's a bit like kind of a bit cheesy when you get a song that you're not that keen on do you just work your way through it do you find it's a challenge like okay I'm going to work extra hard on this song because it's not very it good it depends it depends are there other songs to pick from you know if there are then maybe in a very polite way you can say this one might be more appropriate or whatever and if there aren't and you have to finish the album off and it needs to go on you do your best
Would you ever listen to the album as a whole to see how your tracks merged in with the rest? To see if it actually all flowed together as an album? I was like, I've done, we've done our full tracks. That's our bit. No. <laughs> I, got, I never heard the album. Never heard the album? No. There's like nine different credited producers. So it, well, One album? Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it does actually hang together quite well, which is surprising considering there's like nine producers on it. Well, it's all Paul McCartney. He's kind of a big personality. Yeah, I guess it's going to be what Paul wants in the end. Sure. Then again, Trevor Horn's a big personality as well. Yeah, but the idea was it was Paul McCartney, you know, and we were only spending two days. So you were working with Simple Minds at the same time? Was this before or after? I don't know the, the chronology, but yeah, then we did Street Fighting Years. Was that in the 80s? Yes, that was 89 that came out, same years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was that a good experience? Uh, yeah, kind of. Well, I, I, they are the most gorgeous people again. I, I've got this mad memory, and I don't know if it's right, that the very first time I met Jim, he was, I think he was married to Chrissy Hind, and it was at her house. And I seem to remember, I might be wrong, and it doesn't really matter either way, saying to him, I'm not really a fan of Simple Minds. And he said, well, that's really good news because then you'll make us better. And from that moment on, I thought this guy, I, I love this guy. He's just on it. They're amazing, absolutely amazing. And I wasn't particularly a fan. I mean, I like New Gold Dream. Actually, I, yeah, I love that. And Street Fighting Years, I thought was a bit weird. I loved working with them though. After that, I did another album and a live DVD, I think. Yeah, I did loads with them. And also I did an EP, EP with them in Amsterdam. Yes. Yes, and that was the end of 89, I think, that came out. It was still 80s, I think. Oh, right. Possibly, yes. The My 80s Ography, Quick Fire Mound. Okay, so a song that should have been a single but wasn't. Oh, I don't know if it's... Uh... It doesn't have to be... If you can't think of an 80s, but, you know, answer, it could be at any part of your career. But... Oh, God. There was a song on, on an album I did with Annie Lennox called Bear. Yes. Uh, the song was called Bitter, Bitter Pill. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I just liked it. I don't know. It could be a, should have been a single. push for it to be a single you suggest that she uh, no i don't think i did actually 
But there were all sorts of reasons for that. It was a weird、um, time doing that album. Quite a dark album, isn't it?、But、dark and、um, feel of sadness to it. Yeah, it was really hard for everyone. That album. She was getting divorced, and it was hard.、Right. Very hard for her, and that in turn made it quite. It, it was a difficult album to make. Okay, most surprising person to ever say they liked your music.、Uh, God, well, to me or just generally, See,、uh, about anything that you've been involved with, come to you and said, "I really love this track," and you thought, "Oh wow!" And expected this person to say that about that. Song. Well, apparently, Quincy Jones loved、um, that Propaganda album so much he he used it as a reference for whatever the album he was doing with Michael Jackson. Which I guess that'd be bad. Yeah, ah,、oh, that's interesting. I gather. The, even Quincy Jones likes Duel, Stephen. See, I don't think it was Duel, but I'm sure you. Love, I'm sure you love that track. Okay, learn from the best. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, well, I'll take it anyway. You, you convinced、nice. yet? You convinced yet? Duel's a great song. Yeah. No, okay. Okay. Right. Come on. Come on. Weirdest place you've ever heard a song of yours? God, I, do you know what? I haven't got a clue. But I'll tell you what. I do love. The idea of、um, hearing a song I've done in in a lift, you know, elevator music. I love that idea. You've never heard a lift version of Relax? No, I've heard、uh, quite a few Annie songs in elevators, but not、um, not the Frankies. Best video of one of your songs. God help me. Best <laughs> video. Would you watch videos when you knew a single was being made of on the track? Would you ever check out the video to see? No, not really. I would say Will Young made really good videos. I thought some of his videos are brilliant, and also Diva Annie made a whole load of、uh, concepts. Yes. Yeah, I liked all them. Sophie Muller was in it. Directed them. Yeah. Your karaoke song of choice of your music. If you had to sing a song doing karaoke, one of the songs that you've produced or engineered, which would you choose? Oh, I choose a Jeff Beck instrumental. <laughs> oh, you cheat! Yeah. I, <laughs> oh, you wouldn't catch me doing karaoke. That was not the answer I was looking for. As well, I'm sure. You were definitely. Nah, definitely an instrumental. Okay. Person you've worked with, you choose to be, or who wants to be a millionaire? Phone a friend. Wow.、Uh, oh God, I don't know how to answer that. Are you saying the brightest person? Well, let's say you're going to do a pub quiz, and you could, there's a space for one person to be on a team, and you. Oh, Paddy Macaloon. Okay. Oh, I was going to, I was going to get on the prefab spread because I absolutely love prefab spread. He's a smart cookie all round. Yeah, I think he's pretty smart. The Eternal Jukebox. Three tracks you want saved for eternity. Of all the songs you've done in the eighties, which three would you would you select be saved?、Uh, from the eighties. From the eighties. Oh God. Well, th- th- I I don't know. They'd have to be. This would have to be done on a、um, purely scientific basis, not a choice of love, but a choice of commerce. So the three, whatever the three most successful were. Yes, relax. Two tribes and 
I don't know. I've no idea. But that's my answer. Okay, cool. And three words that sum up your ages. Work. Sleep. <laughs> work. <laughs> it was basically I worked through the ages. I didn't see any any TV movies nothing it's a black hole you missed a lot of good stuff in the 80s i'm sure so um briefly cover your post 80s career because it's quite incredible so you've done a lot of film work a lot of it with Hans Zimmer you've done also done a lot of cover a lot of pop artists like x-factor pop idol kind of stuff i assume that's because of your association with simon fuller which goes back to annie lennox is that correct uh, possibly y yeah but y you know um there was i i thought about this the other day this sort of credibility thing you know what price is credibility important and I, when when he asked me to work with s club seven i remember my manager at the time said this is a terrible idea or ronan keating or boyzone or whatever it, but actually my joy is making records making music producing music so it's fine by me i don't have a problem with any of it you know, even Jerry Halliwell, who I loved. <laughs> I had great fun with her. I love the even Jerry Halliwell. Well, I mean, she's not really, a, you know, the greatest artist, but right. I loved working with her. I had great, great fun. It was a challenge. They're all challenges. Yes, that makes and, it a greater challenge, I guess, than working with Paul McCartney. It says, you maybe. Know Paul and, and if people want to judge me because I work with Jerry Halliwell, good luck to him. I don't care. Yeah, and right beside you, Sophie B. Hawkins. Yeah, actually... I think, I know this is a weird thing to say, but I think Don't Stop Moving knocked It's Raining Men off the number one spot or the other way around. That, you, you produced two back-to-back -back number ones. And they yeah. Were two, they? yeah. It's Raining Men, Jerry Halliwell. I forgot she recorded that. Oh, I remember that like yesterday. <laughs> In a good way or? Yeah, great way. Yeah. I oh, mean, okay. it, was, it was short, sharp burst of energy. It's Raining Men. Okay, I just want to briefly cover four things that you've done since the 80s, because I just, I just, I get a chance to speak to you. I can't not ask you about these. So there's Diva, Annie right. Lennox. Yeah. So um, this was her first album post Eurythmics. I think it's the best album she ever made with or without Eurythmics. Was there a, a design brief for the album? I have one piece of input for this album. I mean, she wrote songs. She hadn't finished it. But I have one thing I kept saying to her, which is... As much as possible, we shouldn't have any guitar. And she kept saying, why shouldn't we have guitar? I said, because you're no longer with the guitarist. That was, I kept thinking, dump the guitar, make this keyboard album. She plays the keyboards there. But as, as a guitarist, weren't you tempted to like, I could be the David A. Stewart of this, this album. No, not really. I didn't want to replace I it. I could lay down a guitar solo here. I could. I played a bit. There's a bit of guitar in it, but not much.
just to I uh, just want to mention um Prefab Sprout quickly. Yeah. So you recorded two songs for their greatest hits. Uh, I think Paddy Macklin's a genius and they're great songs. Was If You Don't Love Me, was that an attempt to do in a kind of Pet Shop Boys style song? Was that the brief for that song? I can't remember. I, I can't remember much about that song. I remember a lot more about the sound of crying because I thought that was um that came out really well. Yes, and then a great song. I love that. That's what would be in my top five work pieces of work. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a brilliant song. Hang out the flags and Ultravox are one of my favourite bands. You you produced their comeback album. Oh, um, I loved that album. That album it was did a great nothing. album. Yeah, it was just like, I think it was a, it was just maybe too late for them, I guess. I don't know. You, really you, good. An era where people are, of that age would be interested, don't really buy albums, I guess, because it, it was a great album. Yeah, I thought so. There was a song on it. Hang on, let me see if I can find it. Oh, this might be it. Live. Yeah, yeah that's good. Fantastic. Yeah. At flow, it's good. There's some really good songs, and they were fascinating to work with. Absolutely fascinating. Did they get on well in the recording? Was it all? Yeah, kind of they did actually. Billy Curry's an interesting character, but they all got on well. must say someone said would you i know who it was cod it was, that he was sort of managing them, and he said would you like to make a an ultravox album my in, in, initial thought was of course not what for and then i suddenly thought <laughs> hang on these guys have written some of the greatest singles ever what am i what am i thinking of course i want to work with them they're amazing. It was a no-brainer, really. Just the honour of working with them. Yeah. And what a guy, Midjura is. Bloody hell. He's, an amazing career, isn't he? His ages oh, were incredible. He's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Great singer, great player. He's a for, you know, he's a real force to be reckoned with. So underestimated. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and bring it up to date, you've done the latest Bond theme. Yes. Yeah. How did that come about with Billy Eilish? Uh, well, it wasn't Billie Eilish calling me, I can tell you that. It was, um, how did it come about? It was one way or the other. I'm not sure if I was asked to work on the score or if Hans said, I'd like you to produce the single for the Bond movie. And he didn't quite know what it was. There, there were a few contenders. And so I went over to see him and he played that and he said, I, I think this might be good. And I said, this is a complete no-brainer. Of course, 
this has got to be and it was so unbondy but it felt pretty obvious to me that the idea of getting Billie Eilish to do it was a good idea anyway and that was that so I did it with um, really with Phineas her brother yeah I look forward to hearing it in the movie when it comes out in 2026. Yeah, if it ever comes out. It will come out at some point. is the end of the interview thank you very much uh so that's the Stephen lipson interview i really enjoyed that chat some great stuff there such stuff from frankie uh, i wasn't aware that holly johnson had such an issue with him i must check out his book uh steven worked on some fantastic stuff in the 80s and i worked out that if i did a top 20 of my favorite singles of the 80s he'd probably have five of the songs in there and if he'd have produced shaken stevens probably double that I have to apologise for asking so many post-80s questions, but really his, his career as a soul producer really took off in the 90s, and um, he's worked on some great stuff, so it's definitely worthy of comment, I think. Check out his Facebook page, check out Ultravox, and also check out Prefab Sprout, uh, mentioned in the episode. I would love to have heard a full Stephen Lipson-produced Prefab Sprout album. That would have been great. But there are the two songs mentioned on the first best of Life of Surprises. I love Prefab Sprout. I think Paddy McAloon is probably my favourite songwriter of the past 40 years. He's been consistently brilliant. I just wish he'd get more stuff out. Uh, this is the one um, Stephen doesn't remember much about that I called their Pet Shop Boys song, and it's fab. If you don't love me, I uh, I'm very excited about the next interview, so listen out for that soon, and uh, take care, peeps.
Yeah, I will do. Yeah, and thank you so much for doing this, Stephen. It's been absolutely fascinating. No pleasure. Been... I'm sorry I haven't been more forthcoming about. Stuff. No, no, no. It's, it's been brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And, and Jewel, Slave to the Rhythm are classics. All right, so just just get on board. Listen to the tracks. Yeah, because <laughs> they're, they're fantastic songs. All right. All right. Thanks. Well, you take care. Thanks you a lot. Too. All the Cheers, best. Mate. Bye. Bye. Make some masses. Kiss their asses.